Um, I have the, the privilege of introducing um, our speakers tonight. And um, our first speakers are going to be uh, Matt and Kevin Davenport. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to talk about some similarities and differences between Kevin and Matt. Um, Kevin was a military child. Matt was a pastor's kid. So differences, but they both watched their fathers go through battles and make it through. Um, both are athletes. Uh, both, in their athletics, sent projectiles long distances. Um, Kevin's was a baseball, and uh, he played baseball at William & Mary. And how many home runs did you have? Couple. It's modest. Um, Matt's projectile that he sent was a football, um, if you didn't know that. Uh, longest field goal. See? Modesty. I did that. That was perfect, and they weren't queued up to do that. Um, they process things differently. Kevin, um, if you didn't know, is an external processor, and so he talks as he processes <laughs> a lot, but it's good. Um, Matt processes, and I've, I've, just, I've known Matt my entire, entire life, but I've recently identified that he uses humor to process things. I've just, well, I, he's, I've known he's funny, but I've just realized he processes through humor. When he's going through something difficult, humor is, I think, helps him, you know, organize it in his mind. And so if he ever says something funny at a really inappropriate time, he's just processing something. <laughs> Or a joke. Maybe it's not funny, but it's a joke. Um, they both come from a, a line of courageous people. And people who took risks for a cause greater than themselves. Um, I was informed that um, Kevin's great-grandfather was a, a drummer boy in the Civil War. Um, his, his dad was a, a World War II hero with an incredible story. Um, and Kevin served in Vietnam. And Matt has, has served and taken risks and challenges um, that where the odds were stacked against him. They're both carrying that mantle of courage, and so many have benefited from it. And they've modeled so much to me and to um, our church and those who they influence. And so I'm really looking forward to what you both have to share tonight. Well, as always, it's a privilege uh, to speak, um, and it's great to see everybody as I'm spilling everything. Um, our theme, the enduring things. The word endurance comes from the Latin durus, which means continuing or lasting or abiding. It's the opposite of disintegration or crumbling, or decay. Endurance is a state of lastingness. Trials are the crucibles in which endurance is forged. To endure is to withstand hardship. said, heroism is endurance. Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Edison. It was by perseverance or endurance that the snail reached the ark. Spurgeon. 
Faith healing is good, but faith enduring is better. Tozer. So we're talking about things, and I have some favorite things. that endure. This is my most prized possession, one of them. I have taken this out of the trash can at least a half a dozen times. (laughs) Dudley? This was a t-shirt I bought at Matt and Heather's wedding over 20 years ago, and I love it. I still sleep with it, but as you can see, there's a little It's a little worse for the wear, but it's still got another 20 years in it. (laughs) But things wear out. But the thing means something to me because it connects me to an event and a time. And that's what makes it sentimentally precious or whatever. A thing can be an inanimate object, uh, as distinguished from a living being. Uh, A state of affairs can be things in general within a specific um, implied sphere, such as things are improving. Um, Things refer to one man's treasure is another man's junk. Now, um, I want to really spend a few minutes just talking about culture. Shapes our ideas, but it's truth that endures. Um, If you could bring up that picture. Um, This, first of all, it proves that I went to high school. (laughs) This is my baccalaureate in high school, 1965. It's a public high school with 2,500 students, and there were 650 in our graduating class. We had all kinds of different faiths involved in that school, And now I want to show you what, this is a public high school, the next one. Here's what we did for our service. Processional, all glory, loud and honor. Call to worship. Minister, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Congregation, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pastor, the minister. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Bless his name, the congregation, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Let us pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, grant us thy blessing and grace in every every fourth into tomorrow. May we put our trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All glorious, everlasting, the acapella choir and the girls' ensemble. Then we read from 1 Samuel 8. Then the pastor prays, and then there's a sermon on responsibility, and then we go, go, uh, God be with you until we meet again, and then there's a benediction. Things changed. 1965, I'm a senior in high school. For what it's worth, I didn't even know what baccalaureate meant. Um, I didn't know, I didn't pay any attention to those scriptures either. I saw it years later and I thought, man, we know we've changed. We know things have changed, but how they have changed. 
I think we'd agree all major religions have elements of truth. Um, most of them espouse good things or try to do good things for their fellow men, and they're sincere about it. C.S. Lewis said, if Christianity is false, it's of no importance. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it can be is moderately important. His truth is marching on, and it's unchanging. Truth is not simply sincerity or good intentions. We can always be learning and never come to the knowledge of the truth. The term, my truth, is nothing more than which feelings are on an equal footing with truth. For many, truth has become relative and self-serving. But truth is that which is inherently correct in form and substance. It's what is. Thy word is truth. Contrarywise, a myth is something that's fabricated, invented, imagined, and is unverifiable. And it's really important that we know the difference between myths and truth, because I don't think there's much distinction in the days that we're living in with many of us or people. But a myth is not truth. It can point to truth, but it's not truth. Entire cultures, religions, and belief systems have built, been built around mythology, uh, have built around mythology and into religion. In some of our lifetimes, we've seen the Japanese emperor considered a sun god, a human being born of woman, that he's a god in the 20th century. In our lifetime, we see the Dalai Lama is just a reincarnation of something else, whatever he was before. In our lifetime, we see Buddhism and people who essentially are not believing in God, but believe there's a light within that they can reach a status, maybe even nirvana, by denying their empirical sight and things like that. I've had the honor of going with John and Leighton. We've been to India. But all over India, there's so many idols. It's, I mean, I feel like I'm in the book of Acts. Everywhere is idol worship. And, and all of these idols are gods. People are laying down their life, sacrificing their families for a cow. In our world today, our modern world, it says in Timothy, and men will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Our culture, our present culture is enthralled with tolerance and relativism. Who are you to say? How do you know what's right and what's wrong? What's true? That's just your opinion. Well, Jesus just didn't talk about the truth. He is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is that which really is. It's reality. The sum of thy word is truth. And every one of his righteous ordinances is everlasting. Psalm 119. All truth is God's truth and is true everywhere for everyone under all conditions at all times. Truth is true. 
in that it is objective and independent of any human knower. Truth is true even if nobody believes it. And falsehood is false if everybody believes it. Biases or sincerity. Truth is one of the permanent things which makes truth one of the unchanging things that endure. The word of the Lord endures forever. The grass withers, flower fades, and the word of the Lord endures forever. His word is truth, never changes. I often refer to this story by Francis Schaeffer in the great evangelical disaster written in the early 1980s, but he was saying that the issue for the church is not going to be tongues, not going to be women in ministry, not going to be whether you drink alcohol or not, uh, not what you believe about end times. The issue in the church is whether or not you and I believe that this is the word of God, which is under assault all throughout the church. Many, many people don't believe that that's the word of God. But we, it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Thy word is truth. Everything under the sun is constantly changing. Since the beginning of the time, the created world has been aging. It's been decaying back to a substance from which it was created, dust. The second law of thermodynamics says all things over time will disintegrate. I don't know the first law of thermodynamics. <laughs> but whatever that is, but it sounds so the second law of thermodynamics. <laughs> the law is true of creation, but not true of the creator. For in God, there is no variation or shifting shadow. The storms of life are continually changing, but God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. For us, the outer man is decaying, like my t-shirt, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. I want to make a quick segue about things that endure, and I'd like to just say thank you to Richard McAfee. to Rebecca Petrie, to Dal Robison, to Randy Reinhardt, to Michael Cook, to Gary Henley, and anyone I missed. Though they were very prominent in leading, many of us, and being brothers, and we are richer for what they left. And just as Mark and Karen were talking this morning, we, many of us, how many, raise your hand if Dow still has some things that resonate in you from time to time. He's been gone a while. Richard, pastor's heart, I know how much he meant to you guys. Michael Cook, we used to battle all the time. I got so much, Michael was my true iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And Dow, when my father died, my family's Catholic, so I went to Dow and I said, Dow, did anybody get saved before the Reformation? 
And he did just what you did. He started laughing. He said, oh, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. He said, of course. And I, was, I knew the answer, but it, was, but it was like, because we get so wrapped up, we put God in a box, our theological box, but it's truth is true. And, and, and I'm so grateful for these men and, and women. It's like what you heard this morning, you can't get at, it's like broken bread. And the people I'm talking about, Rebecca was a huge influence on Mike and Aaron, her own suffering, um, really encouraged Aaron. And Gary opened up my eyes, where's Sheree? He opened my eyes to the whole Islam world. And Randy was just on the screen last year, and now he's in glory, where we will be one day, not... Not in a rush, but it's inevitable. So a short list of unchanging things. This should give you goosebumps. Suffering and pain are here to stay. <laughs> Beloved, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that besets you, as if some strange thing were coming upon you. But to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also, at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Again, C.S. Lewis said, pain is a megaphone to God's world. Pain is a megaphone to a deaf world, excuse me. Second point of, an, of unchanging things is, all that happens is for our good. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's all good? I don't believe it's all good. I believe it's for good, but it isn't all good. That wasn't all good, but it works together for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. A third thing I deeply believe about unchanging things is nothing will separate us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth or any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I will never, someone prayed out, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is the absolute truth. I want you to understand that. It is absolutely true. You can go to the bank on that. Don't even go to the bank. The bank's not even worth it. It's true, true, true. Another one is, here's one. No temptation is beyond your escape. That'll never change. No temptation has overtaken you, but as such is common to man. But God is faithful. So that you may be able to endure it. There's no sin in temptation. It's just what we do with it. And lastly, on unchanging things, is he'll give us all we need. He gave me my wife. He gave me my kids. He gave me my grandkids. He gave me you, not to mention salvation and gifts and all the stuff we've been talking about. He tells us if we seek, we'll find. If we knock, it'll be open. If we ask, we'll receive. And finally, I'll do a short list of the unchanging person comes from um, who wrote The Unshakable Kingdom and The Unchanging Person. He's Stanley, Stanley Jones. The Unchanging Person is, it stuck with me for this message. 
Jesus has always existed. He said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. There was never a time he came into existence. There will never be a time when he goes out of existence. Because he created time, he's not limited by it. Everything to him is present. He can tell us what will happen in our future because it's not future to him. That which has been already and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. Ecclesiastes 3.15 The unchanging person holds it all together. All things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Colossians. He never changes. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Malachi 3.6 For you are the same, and your years will never come to an end. Psalm 102 God is consistent throughout all of time. Every good and perfect thing comes from the Father of lights with whom there's no shift or shadow or turning. He doesn't lie and is true to his word. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make good numbers? The counsel of the Lord stands forever. That's true. The plans are from, of his heart are from generation to generation. His love is never ending. The loving kindness of the Lord never ceases. His compassions are new every morning. And though the universe changes, God never will. This is out of Psalm 102. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change um, like clothing to be discarded, but you remain the same, and your years never come to an end. Psalm 102. I suppose the sum of what I'm saying is we can stake our lives on the truth. I was a very wandering soul when I was in college, and I remember talking to people, saying there's got to be something out there worth living for beyond the Peace Corps beyond being a goody-goody. And I couldn't, I said, I know, there, I mean, I, I, I'm here. There's got to be something more. And then when I came to Christ, or he came to me, I found the truth, and the truth sets you free. The truth will drive your mission. The truth will drive you, well, truth will bring you through. When my feelings say he's left me, he hasn't left me. So, my thing today is that it's an honor to, to have spoken. It's an honor to have heard what I heard this morning. And I'm going to bring up my son. I don't know what he'll do, but the word is he's going to do a better job than I just did, okay? <laughs> but he's going to approach it differently. I don't know what he's going to say.
Cooper told, I mean, uh, Jim Mathias told me just before the service started that he'd been praying and that the rapture was going to happen just <laughs> All right, you got it. No okay. notes? No, I have them in here. Okay. I'll use this. Yeah. I feel like a stand-up comedian, you know, and they, hey, how's everybody doing? <laughs> That's what Cooper was talking about, making jokes when I feel uncomfortable. That's what that was. All right. Um, great job, Dad. My dad's a good dad, great dad, and a great pastor. Um, and Mom, you're awesome, too. Everybody knows my mom is the straw that stirs the drink, so... My dad lets me get away with saying these things. So... Um, Man, I got so much going through me. I hope uh, this will all make sense. And I, I did write it down, um, but I have a tendency to go off script. So I'm going to do my best. But my wife, Heather, uh, is not here. She sends her love. Just couldn't make it. A lot going on. Uh, we celebrated 20 years of marriage in July. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, and I flew out here by myself. Hold your applause. The um, and I realized after 20 years, like I'm kind of like a child. Like I was looking at like, where are my bags? <laughs> like I realized how how like dependent I am on Heather. Don't tell her that though. Um, but it is so great to be here. I did want to acknowledge that our college football team is better than Wisconsin this year. So I just felt like in the spirit of humility and honesty, I should get that out right now. Well, we'll hold Nebraska. Sorry, Martin. Um, <laughs> although that would probably be a dogfight. Okay, so in preparation for this weekend, I asked myself this question, and I do have a tendency to ask people and myself weird questions, but if I was flying to Mars on a one-way ticket tomorrow, what would I want to say to you all today? That's kind of how I was prepared for this. <laughs> I thought it was better than saying getting hit by a bus. That's the other way of saying that. So if I was leaving tomorrow... I'd say it's, it's another way of saying, what are some enduring things that I want to pack into the baton and leave behind? So Heather and I love sports, and so do our kids. And so as a result, we spent a lot of weekdays and uh, weekends at the field. Um, and as you know, parents can get really heated and competitive. So much so, I don't know if they do that. I know you all secretly think Californians are crazy, but this will cement some of your ideas. Um... <laughs> So much that at Little League games, the, the, the kids turn to the parents, and the parents recite a parent's pledge to cheer, not to criticize. At rec soccer games, they have what's called Silent Saturdays. Do you all have that here? Oh, man, I'll get into it in a minute. It happens one game during the season. We cheer for our kids, but the rule... Oh, what did I say here? So, uh... Uh, anyway, I, I wrote down, I'd I feel like he is like a rage monster, and I would, I'd just love to sit down and be like, what happened, you know? <laughs> Silent Saturday, don't get your kids. It's ridiculous. You can clap, coaches can't yell. It's a strange environment. I found myself highly irritated at the start of the game when they reminded me, it's Silent Saturday. I'm at a soccer field at 7.30 in the morning on a Saturday 
to watch and encourage my eight-year-old, my eight-year-old son. Nope, no, 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 be quiet and clap. So I was very annoyed, but secretly annoyed. I didn't act annoyed, but some of you that know me well, you know what that looks like. I was just annoyed. So Brooks is eight, and he's a very good athlete, but his greatest trait as an athlete, I would say, is that he's ultra-competitive and will simply just outwork you. He's really aggressive and an intense athlete. So kind of like me when I played soccer growing up, he likes to score goals. Because, I mean, I know there's some soccer fans in here, but the whole point is if you score more than the other team, you win. That's like the whole point. <laughs> so that particular the day, uh, the day, this coach, he put him on defense. And Brooks was really disengaged. I promise this story is going to tie in. Just hold on for a second. But Brooks was really disengaged. He, he was unclear about what to do. And the result was a lack of effort. His coaches and the, major and the majority of, uh, of his team are from Argentina. Very expressive and in love with soccer. Well, that didn't work too well on Silent Saturday because <laughs> they were going insane, but secretly. So we're down 1-0, and Brooks and the rest of the team are, are lethargic. <laughs> and at halftime, Coach pulled Brooks aside and was read, like reading him the riot act and about what he, whether he wanted to play or not. And he's eight, and he goes, you want to play or not? I'm not going to do the accent because that wouldn't be appropriate. But do you want to play or not? Do you want to play or not? If you don't want to play, I'll put in Jorge. I will. Uh, do you want to play or not? And, and Brooks is like, you know, kind of finger up his nose, like, uh, yeah, I guess, you know. But he was really the only kid the coach was going after. And he was going after him much more than like an eight-year-old. Um, so I kind of had a little protection in me start to surface. And this is a layer cake from the silent Saturday frustration and irritation. And it started to kind of bubble up in me. And I'm sitting in my like Tommy Bahama Costco bought beach chair next to Heather. And I, I said, I'm getting more irritated. I, and I'm hamstrung by my ability because I can't say anything. And I told Heather, I'm going to talk to the coach after. And, she, and uh, I've only done that one other time in 15 years. And you would all be proud of how I handled it. But Heather encouraged me not to because I, I told her I was hoping for a little conflict. That was my... <laughs> I wasn't in a good space. I was able to settle down by the end of the game. The coach walked over to me where I was talking to Brooks. Coach said, I don't know what's going on with him today. And I, I had decided I'm not going to say anything to him because I just need to chill and then... Um, I said, well, he's used to playing offense and I think he was confused on what to do. And the coach said, well, I put him in the first quarter and he wasn't engaged. He was kind of like a little snappy. And so I said, well, I said, or no, he, the coach said, I can't play everyone at forward. And I explained, you know, you're the coach. I'm not. I, I said, you can play him wherever you want. Um, but just when he's on offense, tell him to score goals. When he's on defense, explain to him how he can move up with the offense as they pull back. I said, you're the coach, but I'm his dad, and he's a little squirrely. He needs clear direction. The coach said, I can see that fire in him. That's what he said to me in a really cool, like, Raphael Nadell sort of way. <laughs> I could see that fire in him. I was trying to bring that out of him. I was trying to challenge him to the point that he would respond. He has that fire inside of him. <laughs> and I said, that, that's awesome. I love it. I will continue to work on his, on his effort behind the scenes, but let's work together to draw that out. 
okay, coach said, we'll work on that in practice, and I'll be more clear with him. I then walked to Brooks, walked Brooks to the car and said, you know we have a fire at home in the fireplace, and there's just that little glow, right? It's kind of dim now. He said, yes. I said, you were glowing today. And the coach was trying to throw a few logs on the fire. He's on you because he sees you, who you are, and what you could become, and I do too. When you do it's a slow burn, and that's great, but I believe the purpose of this weekend is to have a few logs thrown in those fire. When we burn, we light up our neighborhoods. We light up our communities. We light up our jobs. We light up the world. Brooks was unclear and therefore paralyzed with not wanting to do something wrong. And my first point is clarity. Clarity leads to purpose. And when you find purpose, you are energized. And when you're energized through clarity and purpose, you are dangerous. I'll say that again. Clarity leads to purpose. And when you find purpose, you are energized. And when you're energized through clarity and purpose, you are dangerous. Satan brings confusion, and the Holy Spirit brings clarity. When you are confused, you become depressed, anxious, which saps your energy. It sends you reeling. When Brooks was asked to play defense, he thought you had to sit back and wait for the offense to approach in hopes of stopping them. When he learns the position through clear instruction, he will learn that the best defense is actually a good offense. Many of us are standing in front of the goal, if you picture a goal behind me, waiting for the next attack. No, our purpose is to extend the kingdom, the kingdom of God by collaborating with others and him to take the good news to the whole earth. And you can't do that standing on your heels hoping for the best. The God we serve is an initiator. The God we serve is a finisher. He created you. He created you to be in a relationship with him. He's the God of Jacob, Moses, Esther, Paul, King David, Joseph, Mary, the disciples, the God of Ruth, the God of Genesis, the God of Proverbs, the God of Revelations, and he's the one that knit you together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's Jeremiah 29, 11 and Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in a way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. You have to remember, I'm getting in a shuttle tomorrow for Mars, so I have to get this out and be clear. The one thing, the first thing I would say in relation to that clarity is that he loves you. And you know why? Because the Bible says so. Remember when we used to say that as a kid? And then we got really mature, and we're like, actually, if you talk, if you think about it, it's true. My dad just explained that if you believe the Bible is true, he loves you because the Bible said so. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You know, oftentimes we bring the trauma from our natural relationships and apply it to our spiritual ones. 
We often look to God to make sure he won't reject him, reject us or abandon us or hurt us or abuse us or not pay attention to us or not be affectionate to us. We pursue a, re- a relationship with him out of a checklist of things we don't want. And I'm here to tell you that he is perfect and that you want all of him. You don't want pieces that fill a hole. He provides you with what you need, and he will pursue you because he loves you. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Marinating marinating in the fact that he loves you will give you clarity. What a giant deception that we were created or born out of chance. That entire premise erases a cosmic algorithm driven by chance and good fortune. That premise brings confusion. It limits your ability to be very difficult to break out of. Not impossible via God's redeeming love, but difficult. God's love brings you clarity. God's word brings you purpose. God's word comes in the form of the scriptures, the community, and his voice. When he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, he means it. He, he has a plan for you. That was one of the first things, the very first thing, John Wooden, famous coach from UCLA, he taught the guys every year how to put their socks on the first day of practice. They won like 10 straight national championships. They'd been wearing socks for 18 years. He also said that good teachers reinforce the same principles. They don't try to create new ones. I'm just teaching you to put your socks on right now. He has a plan for you because he loves you. I'm defining purpose as the reason we were created. I'm not talking about goals, habits, or desires. It's crazy. We take so much credit for everything, even purpose. If he, (laughs) so crazy, oh my gosh, it's interesting, all these, uh, uh uh-oh, here comes a sidebar, all the, all these bumming business, um, this sounds impressive, who was I saying to Maria, import, export, not really, but I've all, but all the books now are about habits, they used to be on, you know, your, your strengths, now it's all on habits, but that's not what purpose is, find out what our purpose is, and most never find it. He is the purpose giver, and we are the purpose receiver. He spoke the word, let there be light. He separated the day and the night. He ordered the ocean to stay in its place by requiring the moon to maintain its proximity to the earth. Like, he could do this. He is God. (laughs) We are not. Don't confuse purpose with position. God wants to be, God wants me to be a fill in the blank. For instance, before the foundations of the earth were established, he knew we would need a good landscape consultant to help solve the drought out west. Right? Because that's my purpose, to, to help solve the drought out west. You know what would solve the drought? Rain. <laughs> if it rained, the drought would be over. And I can't make it rain. My purpose is not in my position as a landscape consultant. My purpose is in to be in relationship with him. I just turn out to be a landscape consultant right now. But I'm not going to be defined 
If it, start rain, if it starts raining outside, I don't get discouraged that my purpose doesn't exist. Because I'm clear, right? The relationship with him takes us to the top of organization charts, to Kenya, to India, to Antarctica, and all over the earth, because he is all over the earth. We cannot be the seed and the sower. His gospel is the seed, and we are the sower. We can't stand over the seed and demand it grow. It germinates when the soil temperature is right, when the water is applied, and the sunlight hits it just right. When we receive the revelation about purpose, our physical state changes. And then finally, energy. We have, when we, through this process, you get clarity, and then you get purpose, and then you get energized. When we have energy by new focus that comes through clarity of his love and acknowledging our purpose via his word, our community, and his voice. The process sends energy to all our appendages, and we wake up different. We work different. We commune differently, and we sleep better. Matthew 11, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been treated violently, and the violent men take it by force. Extending the kingdom of God is a contact sport. You need energy to collaborate with the Father. If you find yourself today sitting there with a lack of energy, and I don't mean tired, I mean on a day-to-day basis, it's most likely tied to you being unclear. And the minute, <laughs> this is my own notes here, the enemy is happy to see you become a rich burnout. I'm not going to make any eye contact here, but he's also happy to see you as a burnout pastor. A burnout wife, burnout husband, mother, father, missionary, politician, musician, or verily, verily I say, burnout landscape consultant. He would love to see you be very successfully financial, financial success, you know what I'm saying, but be burnt out. He would love for that to happen. He'd love for you to show up at church and look, and look like you or just got it all going on, but be burnt out. I confess to you that I've been on a mission to seek clarity. We live in a time where seemingly obvious rights and wrongs are now becoming unclear in so many ways. But we can't bring clarity to others without ourselves being clear. It's the reason when you get on an airplane and they instruct you that you've got to take the oxygen first before you give it to the passenger. We're trying to give some stuff away that we don't even own at this point. I'm guilty of being over-communicative when I'm passionate about something. So I'll say it the same way, or same thing, ten different times, different ways. And so I'm, I'm committed to sowing the seed today. But just know that once we see ourselves rightly, the wave of clarity will flood your soul. It will give you purpose. And you will find yourself enjoying the Lord. Clarity leads to purpose, and when you find purpose, you're energized. And when you're energized through clarity and purpose, you are dangerous. I think Charles mentioned it when he spoke. I, I don't know, remember exactly how he said it, but um, that we need, a, a, I don't know, I can't ex- remember exactly what he said, but a small, forceful group, you know, a group of people that are, are serious. And I believe that the group in this room, there's a lot of work to get here. I don't care if you live down the street. It's a lot of work to get here. 
So I know that this group is serious. There's no question in my mind. I just think it helps sometimes if we acknowledge and kind of look at each other and say, you know, you're the right person. You're the right person for this job. You know why you're the right person? It's because this work is important. And then we get it done together by collaborating, by getting that clarity. I'll just close with this, that um, my, my job title is CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, which I had legally <laughs> trademarked, believe it or not. Can't believe that wasn't done before. Um, and so I really feel like my job description is loving people and plants. And it's amazing, and I would encourage you to do this, is that if you document your journey, and I don't care if you're, you know, 18 or 80, if you document your journey, you will find that the plans that you made, the good things that came out of the plan are the things you didn't intend. Like, we were, you're headed somewhere, and that was good, but really what was good was where you landed along the way. And I can honestly say anything good in my entire life has been... With that being said, failure is not a word. I mean, if you're, if you're in a position right now and you're feeling unclear and you're feeling down or anxious or depressed or like a failure or I don't know what my whole life's going to be about, understand that you're, like my dad was saying, you're right there. You're right where God wants you. Don't rush out of that part. That's like the hardening. That's the part where I, I believe your purpose um, shows up. So thanks so much for allowing me to talk. Amen.